The Enneagram is based on your motivation. So it's based on the why, not the what. And because of that, it's a little bit more deep. It's a little bit more of a journey to figure out because a lot of times it's really easy for us to know the things we do. It's a little harder to know why we do the things we do. And so the Enneagram is a great tool to better understand ourselves, to have more awareness about what we're doing and why we're doing it, but then also to have greater compassion for ourselves. Um, It's a way also to relate to others because as as we learn more about ourselves, we can share that with the people we love and allow them to know us more fully and love us better. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to the show. We're Finn and Emma, and Focus Fridays are back, Finn. Are you excited? I'm super excited. (laughs) Stoked, as some people say. Plus, it's Friday. Hell yeah, it's Friday. Friday. Woohoo! If you're a longtime listener of the show, you may remember two years ago, we released 10 episodes as part of our Focus Friday series. Um, That was season one, and we're back now with season two. So just a quick overview, Focus Fridays are topic-specific episodes rather than our regular scheduled like interview program. So this, uh, we're kicking off season two with a three-part series all about the Enneagram. And we'll be continuing to release uh, other Focus Fridays episodes throughout this year. Um, So the Enneagram, we're going to be working with Kelsia today. And Kelsia is a Enneagram coach and a relationship coach. She works with Catherine and is part of the Expansive Connection team. Catherine's been on the show before and links to her her episodes are in our show notes. And um, But today we dive into the Enneagram, which is a personality and motivation assessment tool with Kelsia. With her, we mirror what it is going to look like or what it would look like to work with her. And we, Finn and I, go through the whole process in these three episodes. Um, so you can listen to these three. And if you're interested in learning more, um, links are in the show notes. You can buy a package to work with Kelsia, and we highly encourage you to do that. Finn and I learned so much, and it was truly a wonderful experience. Yeah, I'm just going to jump in really quick on that and say one of the things that Kelsia says at the beginning is that, like, we're just scratching the surface and that we don't go super in depth, but in, <laughs> in a lot of ways we go really in depth, but also the stuff that we talk about in these first, in these three episodes is kind of scratching the surface on the work that you can do both personally and in your relationships by diving into the Enneagram uh, model and working with someone like Kelsia, who is, who is very familiar and, and adept at it. So um, I would say like, we go in deep, but there is so much more you can do. And that's really the beauty of working with someone like Kelsia. And um, it's just something that, as we'll talk about later on, like has been a huge, huge impact on our relationship between the two of us and our and our other relationships that, that we're navigating. And so... Well, and I think it's also just such a tool to better understand yourself. And so... Without a doubt. Yeah, that's been really powerful so, for both of us as well. Yeah, so we're super excited for this and just a huge amount of... Uh, gratitude to Kelsia and Catherine for uh, putting this together and involving us in it and letting us 
uh, go through this experience and share it with all of you. So we, we really do hope you all enjoy it. Yes. Also, just a quick note that today is we're releasing part one. However, if you want to listen to all three parts right now, you can just go and join our Patreon community. Links are on our website, normalizingnomenogamy.com, and you can get access to all three of those episodes right now. And to be clear, they will all be available for free today, next Friday, and the following Friday. But again, if you want them ahead of time, you don't want to wait you can join the Patreon and you get a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Um, But you also get access to all three of these. Yes. I want to quickly echo Finn's thank you to Kelsia and Catherine as well. We just had an incredible time with this whole experience and we are so excited to share this with all of you. So I think with that, let's jump in to the episode. One more thing. Sure. If you would like to reach out to us, give us feedback, <laughs> point, send yes. any feedback our way that you would like to get to Kelsia or to Catherine. Uh, links um, are in the show notes to actually to contact them directly or to send us an email or a voicemail. We will listen and read them all and we respond to them all. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you think of this. Maybe you have experience with Enneagram as well and um, maybe let us know how how it impacted you. So We would love to hear from you. That's the last thing I wanted to say. There's a contact us page on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Go there, reach out to us. We'll reach back out and it'll be be awesome. That was a really good addition. I promise it'll be a fun time. I send the best emails. (laughs) We send the best emails. Yeah, we do. (laughs) But now go enjoy this uh, powerful, I'd say, especially for Finn and I, conversation with Kelsia. Well, we can get started. So welcome, Kelsia and Catherine, to the show. We're excited to have you both to here today. And this is kind of a special episode that um, we're really excited about. And I'm going to, before we dive into the specific topic, I think it, Kelsia is new to the podcast. And Catherine, you've been here a few times. And we want to turn it over to you, Catherine, and, and introduce, introduce Kelsia. Thank you so much. Um, And thank you for giving me the opportunity to introduce you to one of my favorite humans on the planet and tell you why and how I know her and why you're in for such a treat. Um, And with her full uh, permission to disclose this, I met Kelsia because she was a client of mine. So some of you may have may remember and know that I have a coaching business called Expansive Connection Coaching. And um, Kelsia reached out to me after hearing me on a podcast, um, asking for some help with jealousy and codependency and some issues that she and her husband were struggling with, but specifically she wanted to work on herself. And I see a lot of people and have had the, the honor of walking beside many people on their journey. And something that struck me about Kelsia very early on is her ability to be self-reflective. And for those of you that have listened to our Power of Witness series, you know I like to talk about the top row of the bleachers. And in my opinion, it's really, it's often difficult for any of us to walk to the top row of the bleachers during our own game, if you will, while we're on the field bumping into things and snotting and sweating and struggling. And, and that's why people hire coaches so that we can sit at the top row of the bleachers and point out, hey, run left, turn left, turn right, whatever. And what I was amazed with about Kelsey is that she was able to do that about her own game. She could be down in the field talking about it and then run at the top row of the bleachers and see herself and share that insight with me in a way that I'm kind of sitting on the top row of the bleachers looking at her like, damn girl, that's amazing. And I said to her, I pointed this out pretty early on. And I said, have you ever thought about doing what I do? And she's like, no, 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 no. She had a long career doing something else. And I said, well, I just want to say that it's 
pretty rare to find somebody that can naturally be at the top row of the bleachers for someone else. It's really rare to find somebody who has not been in coaching or counseling before to be able to do it for themselves. I think you got a natural talent here. And she just smiled and said, oh, thanks. Well, then fast forward a little while, I started working with her husband and he and I discussed this, this wonderful quality of hers, which he agreed with. And we started talking about how great she would be at it. And then a few months later, uh, Michelle Chalfant, who runs the podcast, The Adult Chair, that many of my clients are, I recommend them to show her podcast. She decided to come out with a certification program. And when she sent the email, I forwarded immediately to Kelsey and I was like, hello, the universe is calling. I think you should do this. And apparently Jeff sent her almost the same email within five minutes. And so she's (laughs) like, fine. Okay. You two, I'll consider it. (laughs) And so we, uh, Jeff and I, when we finally got to meet in person, high-fived and hugged about, you know, our shared vision for, um, for encouraging Kelsey to get into this work. And then I've been lucky enough to invite her into my practice after she went through this amazing certification program with Michelle Chalfant, um, that I was so impressed with its clinical, um, skills and information that they learned, the, um, the, supervision that she had. I was really amazed. And uh, my business was getting busy enough that I wanted to bring some more coaches into my practice. I've actually brought Kelsia and one other, Miche, who is a sex therapist. Um, but Kelsia brings brings something to my practice that I, I really value, which is this adult chair certification, being able to help people with their inner parts. Also, as I said, her natural ability to sit at the top row of the bleachers and explain it very clearly and help people see their their patterns and help them find new patterns. And then also her passion for the Enneagram, which is another tool that I think really helps people be able to conceptualize and have a framework to understand their motivations and their behaviors in a way that doesn't feel so personal, personal so that they don't have to be so defensive. Um, Also, Kelsia is another person walking her own ethical non-monogamy journey. And that means so much to me. That's the niche that I've tried to create is being wide open that I'm, I'm in this too. And she is, and Miche as well. Um, we are able to cover each other when I'm too covered up with clients. She jumps in and helps with my clients. We have all of our clients sign a disclosure where they are know that we were, are helping each other. So if Kelsey gets stuck, she sends me a message and I help talk her through and vice versa. And, or she might see a client for me and then they'll come back to me or they may stay with her. Sometimes I'll send my clients and say, I want you to go do Enneagram with Kelsey and then we'll integrate that work into our sessions. Or I'd really like for you to go do a few sessions with Kelsey, really focused on adult chair, and then we'll integrate that. So I love this holistic approach that, that we're able to offer. Um, and, just so excited that Kelsey is part of my practice. And it's been really fun to introduce her to you, Emma and Finn. And uh, when you all mentioned, I don't know, we've, we don't even know what Enneagram we are. I was like, oh boy, do I have a show idea for you. So thank you for again, going with an idea and vision that I have. And I will turn you over to the very capable hands of Kelsey. And thank you again for um, having both of us on. Yeah, well, thanks for, for being here. I know Emma welcomed you both. She forgot to welcome me, but I'm not, too, I'm not too offended. So just, yeah, from from my side as well, thank you both for being here. And and uh, Catherine, it's always a pleasure. Um, well, I just want to thank Catherine for those kind, kind words. She is so dear, and I um, 
will always be grateful for her push to find the new thing for me to do and a new way for me to love others and serve them. Um, and I'm just thrilled to be here talking to you guys today. And I'm so happy that you don't know anything about Enneagram, which makes me so excited because I love to teach it to new people and share it as a tool with people that are um, just on a journey to learn more about themselves and to be better at relating to others and to show up in their relationships. Um, and I know that that's something you guys are passionate about. And so I'm really, really excited to be here today and share something that I have a, a real passion for and I just feel like has so much um, ability to help others to know themselves and to know others. So I'm really, really appreciative of Catherine and you guys for having me. Yeah, well, it's it's mutual. So thank you again for being here. Well, I think we can dive into Enneagram because that's yeah. why we're here. So absolutely. I think absolutely. Maybe well, starting with a little bit of a history, that'd be great. Sure. Well, let's talk first about what the Enneagram is and then where it came from. And then we'll kind of do a really high flyover about it. And then we'll talk about you guys, which is what you really, which you really paid the ticket for. So the Enneagram is a personality tool. It's an assessment of personality. And it's really just a way to sort of know yourself better. Um, but unlike Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders, which are also great personality assessments, the Enneagram is based on your motivation. So it's based on the why, not the what. And because of that, it's a little bit more deep. It's a little bit more of a journey to figure out because a lot of times it's really easy for us to know the things we do. It's a little harder to know why we do the things we do. And so the Enneagram is a great tool to better understand ourselves, to have more awareness about what we're doing and why we're doing it, but then also to have greater compassion for ourselves. Um, it's a way also to relate to others because as we, as we learn more about ourselves, we can share that with the people we love and allow them to know us more fully and love us better. So I love the Enneagram for those reasons. I also love the Enneagram because unlike a lot of things like Strength Finder really comes to my mind, the Enneagram is really based around the idea of what we get wrong. The Enneagram is a deep dive into our shadow side. And I love working with shadow and doing that kind of work because I feel like the shadow side is where the magic happens because the places that we don't hit the mark are the places we can grow. You know, I have the saying I use, whereas we grow not where we're great, but where we ache. And that's what the Enneagram points out to us. People are able to usually pick their number based on what they don't like hearing. So things that they hear and instantly become greatly uncomfortable, usually we're real close to your number at that point. So it's not necessarily the cheerfulest journey, but it's a journey that has a great amount of depth and a lot of value and a lot of change that can come from it. So the Enneagram itself is that personality system. And I sent you guys a sort of diagram and the Enneagram is based on nine numbers. So there's nine numbers in sort of a circle. Nine's actually at the top, like the 12 of a clock, and then it goes around to eight. And the Enneagram is not, I love when people say, yeah, I love that trendy new Enneagram. It's so new. I just heard about it. The Enneagram is not trendy nor new. It is a very, very old, old tool that people have used um, a lot in spiritual traditions. Um, there's Enneagrams referenced in texts as old as 300s. Um, it's found all over the world from um, priests and nuns um, to Russian mystics to South American educators. It's all over. And something I always tell people is when something is very old and also very widespread, it usually is because it's true. And I really believe that the Enneagram is a true thing. So 
In maybe the late 80s, a lady named Helen Palmer wrote a book called The Enneagram. And she took a lot of research and she'd done a lot of work on this, the systems, personality typing, and she really kind of brought it into the more modern age. She started a training program for professionals with a man named Dan Daniels and really kind of pushed the Enneagram into the public eye in a modern way. From that, the Enneagram grew and grew. Lots of different authors, lots of different um, researchers started to look into it. It really gained a lot of traction in religious circles as a spiritual tool to help people know themselves. Because the Enneagram in the oldest language was based around the seven vices or the seven sins, it then added to later it really is a way to look at the ways we don't connect well, whether it be to a higher power or to ourselves or to others. And so it's a really old, it was an oral way of teaching. So it's a narrative teaching. And really only in modern times has it been something that people would read or they would test on. It was just something that was shared from generation to generation as a tool. So it's an old but true thing, which is really kind of powerful and good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, we only know a very little bit going into this. So we're sitting here learning just like along with all of the listeners. So I love it. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm excited to dive into all the different types and um, figure out some stuff specific to Finn and I too. Of course. Absolutely. Well, and before we get started at just like I said, a really, really high level look at the types, uh, there's no way that I could ever, ever, ever explain or teach to you guys all of the different um, parts of the Enneagram um, in depth about each number. There's um, the, the numbers since they're nine are divided into three different like categories uh, based on where they lead. So they're called, it's just subtypes. There's also um, different centers. So there's a head center, there's a gut center, there's a heart center that these numbers also fall into. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about wings and about the numbers that are all kind of drawn crazy around that diagram and what those mean. But there's no way I'll be able to get really in-depth about anything. So I really, really will just encourage our listeners, if this becomes something that they're interested in, to do their own work and to research it and to read. And there'll be some resources we'll talk about at the end um, where they can do that work. But this is really going to be a very shallow dive into a very, very deep pool of learning and growth. Um, But I want your listeners to be able to listen and think of what number maybe they feel some resonance with and they feel some connection to. Um, And again, I'd push them to think about the places they feel uncomfortable. Um, And also really the Enneagram is based on why the motivations that we have before we do things. Um, There's a lot of behaviors and we'll talk about some examples later that two numbers would do exactly the same thing in the situation, but the why of they would do it is very, very different. So it's something that you really have to think about and you really have to get deep in about other than just what you show, how you're showing up, but why you're showing up that way. So let's just dive in and talk about the nine types. And I'm just going to give an overview each one. And then we'll really talk about you guys and your numbers and then how your numbers can really love each other better and know each other better. So the first is we're just going to go in order and go with number one. Number one, and there's a lot of different names for these types um, that different teachings and different leaders in the Enneagram world use. I'm going to give you guys a couple just because they may feel a little bit more familiar that way um, to some of your listeners that do know something about the Enneagram. But one is known as the perfectionist or the reformer. One's gift and curse is that they can immediately come into a space and see what's wrong. They see all of the places that could be better. All of the places where there's area or room for growth and improvement. Um, and so they're really focused on not just seeing what's wrong, but making it better. 
and making it right. They have a very, very high standard of, of internal correctness. There is a correct way for a one to show up in almost any situation. And they know it. And they know when they don't show up that way too. There's very few numbers that have a deal breaker. One is one of them. Every person who's a one has this internal voice. And usually, as long as they have been alive, they've had this voice. And they usually think everyone does. And it's this very harsh critic inside their head. And what it does is it points out the ways that they missed the mark or they could have hit the mark even better. And it's just a constant voice. Um, People have described it as like their Jiminy Cricket on their shoulder telling them what they should do. But it talks a lot in should have, could have, um, where we fail, just all of those kind of dialogues happen internally. And ones are the only number that have that, but everyone has it. And it's a very just constant thing that they live with. It pushes them to be very responsible. It pushes them to also know very clearly, especially in their younger years, what's right and what's wrong. They're black and white thinkers, especially before they do work on themselves. Um, They really run on accountability and details. They love others by doing things well for them. So a one in your life is going to love you by doing things to the best of their ability for you. And they really do like to help, but they know there's a right way to help. Um, Ones also, because they see what's wrong, can tend to love others by pointing out what's wrong to them. And not everyone's love language is being told what's wrong with them. So it can be a struggle to be in a relationship with a one because you have to understand that this is just the way they present and see things. And it's not necessarily a personal criticism about you. And they really do feel like they're doing you a favor by trying to help you in your journey towards correctness. So that's the one. Twos are known as the helper or the giver. And twos exist to help others. They are where people that identify as empaths tend to live on the Enneagram. They feel people's feelings. They instantly come into a room and know if there's a hundred people and there's two people struggling, they see them, they know them, and they feel that struggle that those people are feeling. So twos are super relational. They're the people in your life that know the stories. They're the people that, that instantly know all of the people the little minuscule details about the little bitty people that they only have small interactions with, they know. Um, and twos are hyperverbal. So I like to say, and um, a, a teacher that I absolutely love, and I'll quote her a lot, her name is Suzanne Stabile, but she says, if a two hasn't talked about it, a two hasn't finished it because twos are verbal processors. And so they also are verbal processors because they long for connection. And our voices are the way that we can connect with others the best. So twos are going to often not do a good job of knowing or asking for what they need because they're so focused on others. Um, I've told Catherine once that help is the sunny side of control. Catherine's a two. And I think that really rubbed her the wrong way because she knew that that was a truth for her. Um, a lot of codependent traits live in the two space on the Enneagram. And so as someone who um, obviously knows she's codependent and has worked on that, she heard that message loud and clear. Um, Threes. Threes are our achievers. Threes are our performers. Threes are are all about success type people. Um, Threes are very image conscious. They are very appearance focused. They are very much about looking good and succeeding. And threes have an ability where we talked about twos being able to come into a room and feel who's hurting 
and read just the people maybe that are struggling. Threes have an ability to come into a room and pick up on the vibe of the entire space and the majority of the space. And that's why threes make excellent politicians. They make excellent pastors. They have an ability to lead and pick up the energy and the desires of large groups of people. They're just one of those people that can walk into a room and tell the temperature. And not only can they tell it, they can adapt to it. Um, threes are known a lot as shapeshifters. They can be who you want them to be. And it's a gift they have to just really mold into what's expected or what's desired from any group. They feed on hearing that they did well. They really, really need a lot of accolades. They need a lot of praise. And they struggle with who they are without all of those things to stand in this gap and not be praised. So that's where threes really have to work. Fours are a romantics or are individualist. Um, a lot of Enneagram leaders believe there are fewer fours on the planet than any other number. And many people will go their whole lives and never meet a four. Fours are extremely in touch with their emotions. So whereas most numbers will feel a range of emotion over a period of time, you might go through a sad period. You might go through a period where you feel a lot of emotional roller coastering. Fours do that all day long, every day. They feel a ton of ups and a lot of downs. And fours are often described by other numbers as being depressed. They're not. Fours are melancholy. They're very comfortable in the hard side of the emotional spectrum. They're very comfortable feeling deep, intense feelings. They will seek that out. And they're the kind of people who always live in what they're not in. So they long for something that's happened in their past and they are wishing for something that hasn't yet happened that's in their future. So they really have a hard time focusing on the here and now because they're always wishing for something else, whether it was something that has happened or something that's yet to happen. They're very dramatic. They're very creative. Um, a lot of our artists are fours and they are able to do that work out of those deep emotions. Fives. Fives are our investigators. They're our observers. Fives are people who get their safety needs met with knowledge. If you've ever met someone that wants to know all of the things about all of the things, they're probably a five. Fives really feel like the way that they can be safe is with control, and the way they can have control is to know and perceive all of the things. So they really want to know what's happening. Um, they hate surprises. They are very much not the person to throw a surprise party for. A five would hate that. They want predictability because they want to plan and they want to prepare for whatever's going to happen. Fives also lead with their thoughts and not their emotions. So if you're in a relationship with a five and you ask them how they are, they're going to tell you what they think, not what they're feeling. It's just not an area that they're really comfortable with because it's not fact-based. Fives also can get overwhelmed very easily. Fives tend to be more introverted and more privacy-driven of all of the numbers. They really like to be alone, and they're comfortable being alone. They like to be in groups, but a night at home is going to be just as beneficial to them as a night out with some people. So those are our fives. Sixes are known as the loyalists or the skeptics. And a lot of people believe there are more sixes than any number on the earth. Sixes have the ability to play devil's advocate in any situation. A six is also a scanner. So they're a person that's going to approach every situation and want to think about a plan for anything that could happen. They are very much worst case scenario thinkers because for them, 
planning for that worst case scenario protects them from the worst case scenario. And sixes have an ability to visualize in very strong detail what could happen. So they, from that, have a very easily triggered alarm system, a very sensitive nervous system. And they reach for safety and they do that from a place of fear, very much so. A number six is also the only number that has two distinct categories within that number. So people that live from um, a, a place or a pedestal of fear do it in two ways. One is their phobic. The other is counterphobic. And the way these two relate is it's the people that run towards their fears to conquer them. Those are counterphobic type people. So they're going to rebel. They're going to push against authority. They're going to question authority. And your phobic people are going to run from their fears. And they're going to want someone to come in and tell them that if you do this, you'll be safe. They're going to really surrender to authority because that's going to feel like safety to them. So they're the only number that have sort of two divisions within them that look very different, but fear very similar. The sevens are our enthusiasts, our epicures. Sevens are the life of the party. Um, sevens are some of the most fun people you'll ever meet. They reframe everything in a positive light. So sevens are your eternal optimists. Sevens are the people that you could come to with anything, and they are going to turn it around and tell you what a positive it could be or it is. Sevens are the people that are always looking for the next fun thing. They live for experience. They're eternally optimistic. They are always planning the next thing. Sevens, I tell sevens, if you want to be a happy seven, always have a thing in your forward mirror that you're planning. Something to look forward to is what drives sevens. They hate routine. They hate boredom. Um, they tend to be happy-go-lucky. But where we talked about fours feeling those really hard emotions, sevens like to live on the other side of the spectrum. They only like to live in the happy emotions. And they really have a hard time in hard feelings. They will do almost anything to escape a painful situation. They're comfortable in what feels good and they don't like being uncomfortable. So they like to be distracted and um, sometimes they can be kind of unreliable if it's a hard thing. And so it's a stretch for someone who loves a seven to also, when they're in a hard place, feel heard by sevens because they want to minimize it. They want to make it go away and they just don't really have a lot of bandwidth for hard times. Eights are our protectors or our challengers. Eights are also black and white thinkers, like ones, but eights sort of have this idea that to protect myself and to protect the people I love, I need to be powerful. I need to have a lot of respect, and that's going to keep us safe. So eights have lots of energy. Eights tend to be our very strong and vocal leaders. Eights are the kind of people that will get really, really behind a cause for the underdog. So they care deeply about the underdog, but they have the courage to go out and speak on their behalf. A lot of people believe Martin Luther King Jr. was an, an eight because he had so much passion, but the bravery to back it up and to go into those hard places. Eights love challenge. They love competition. They're usually seen as pretty bossy. Um, and they don't always want to be in charge. They just want things to get done. So eights also are the kind of people that are going to listen to their guts. They're going to be very in tune with that inner sort of feeling of what's right and what's wrong, and they follow that. An eight is also the most comfortable number with anger. Eights are probably one of the only numbers that are going to just run headfirst into their anger. If they're angry with you and you're in a relationship with an eight, you're going to know it. You're going to know it very quickly. You're going to feel it, and then it's going to be over. So they have a really healthy relationship with anger but they struggle with vulnerability. 
they struggle with hard emotions. They struggle with tender feelings because they tend to be really action oriented and get it done. I'll also say that a lot of people say that one of the hardest places on the Enneagram to be is a female eight, because to be even today, extremely assertive and extremely dominant doesn't really help females all the time. Eights also don't lead with their feelings. They lead with what they want and what they feel, but from a gut level, not an emotional level. And unfortunately, I think a lot of females are still expected to live in comfort in that emotional spectrum, and eights don't really do that. So it's a hard place to be on the Enneagram for females. Last is the peacemaker, number nine. I like to say the peacekeeper because uh, nines don't make peace. They do everything to keep the peace. They're also known in other Enneagram circles as the mediator because nines are natural mediators. They're the only number that's very comfortable seeing both sides in almost every situation. They really struggle with making decisions because they really can see the good in almost any situation, both sides. Nine's biggest concern in life is conflict, internal or external. And what they do to avoid conflict is they go along. Nines are murders. So if you have a nine in a relationship and you feel strongly about something, that nine's going to feel strongly too because they just merged right in with where you wanted to go. Nine's fear is that if they speak out about their opinion and it doesn't match yours, you won't love them and you won't want to be with them. So nine stay far away from anything that feels like, smells like, looks like conflict. They are just go along and they're fine with it. Internally, they're like, this is great. Everybody's happy. I'm happy. Let's go. So nines are grounded. They're reliable. They're very peaceful people. They, they're people that people like to be with, but they struggle to speak up for themselves. They struggle to even know what they want and to listen to that. So their work is really to figure out who they are and not who they just have merged in to be with others. So that quick description is really all of our nine types. That's a lot. It is a lot. lot. But it's also like you did such a fantastic job, like going through each one of those. Like I was, I, it was really great to follow. So thank you for that overview. I only have one one issue that I believe the perfectionists are the most fun to be around, but that's a personal, that's a well, personal opinion. You're ruining it. We're going to get there in a second. You're right. oh. I'm not there yet. That's right. Well, and I will tell you one thing I do want to say is that all of us have all of these qualities. We aren't in a vacuum. We aren't just perfectionists. We're perfectionists that also are helpers and perfectionists that also are enthusiasts and we're perfectionists that also can be the challenger. We can all be all of the numbers. It's just one number that really is the dominant number. It's the number that really is primary in our needs and our desires. So I just want to talk a little bit before we talk about you guys' numbers, just about some vocabulary that's really important to know. And it's your wings And those numbers along that Enneagram diagram that point to other numbers that are connected with numbers. So you can only have a wing. The two things about Enneagram that I always laugh when people think they know a little bit, think, um, but don't really know a lot is people will tell me that they used to be a two and now they're a nine. And most Enneagram experts will agree. In fact, all of them that you don't change numbers through your life. You are pretty much set in your number by about the age of five. It's it's a mix of genetic predisposition and then where you're placed in the world, a nurture nature that really just sets up this core need and this core want 
that you have, and you just take that throughout your life. So you don't change numbers. What happens though a lot is people will get mistyped. And like I said earlier, there's a lot of numbers that look alike, but they're not the same. So I always tell people when they say they change, I think maybe you just got a better sense of who you are or a better read of who you are, a better typing, but we don't change numbers. The other thing is you can only have a wing on the numbers that live on your neighbors. They're the neighbors to your number. So you can't be a nine with a five wing. You can only be a nine with a one wing or an eight wing. And that's it. And it makes it a little bit easier because you can identify these secondary things that your wings offer. So what the wings do is, let's just take me, for example. I'm a nine. I have a really, really strong one wing. So my primary goal is to keep conflict at a minimum. And I'm very, very, very concerned about what other people want and other people's agendas being more important than mine. But I pull a lot of energy from doing things well and being correct and not wanting to get in trouble and wanting things to be right. So I have a really strong one wing. So I just sort of draw some energy or some personality, but it's secondary. My motivator is not the voice like we talked about. And it's not that things have to be perfect. I just am comfortable in that space. So everyone has a wing. Um, A lot of people believe that you start off your life with a really strong one side wing. And then as we grow and we mature and we just become more fully human beings, we take energy from both sides of our wings. So wings are really important and they really flavor the fact that there's just not nine different uniforms we all wear. We all have these little bitty nuances that make us different. The lines on the Enneagram diagram point to the number that your number goes to either in times of need or stress or in times of excess or overflow. So the two, for example, is a helper and a giver, and they're a lot about other people's feelings. But when a two is struggling, when a two is in a really bad place and they can't take care of themselves in their number and in their two-ness, they're going to reach across to the eight and they're going to access a boss or a challenger or a really verbal ability to speak up for themselves that they wouldn't normally have in their two-ness. So when a two is struggling, you're going to see a really dominant and a really direct message from a two. And they're going to that eight to give them some strength. On the other side, when a two is doing so well and they're, they're just their most healthy place, most healthy place, they've got extra. It's like their cup is running over. And they're going to go down to the four and they're going to sort of just play in that four energy. They're going to play in this feelings and in in just what's happening. And they're going to dream about what could be. And they're going to reminisce about what could have, what did happen. And they're going to kind of go into that four place just with all their extra energy. So those are the lines. And they're also really important because when we talk about you guys, I'm going to talk about how to know when your person maybe is in excess or when they're in stress or when they're doing well, because those lines are going to show you behaviors that they may do. So those are just really kind of the last parts that as your listeners do more dive, deep dives about this, they're going to want to learn about their wings and they're going to want to learn about this directional arrows. Yeah. And just a note, and we mentioned this in the intro, but the, the diagram that you're referencing is available in the show notes. So people can go check that out because um, it is important. It's helpful to look at well, as you're describing all of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great wheel to kind of follow around and figure it out. And the diagram that I gave you and you're giving your listeners also has more information about the the sort of the, the heart centers and which numbers are in which. So they can also do more reading about that if they'd like. Awesome. 
Do you have anything else about like Enneagram in general? I guess maybe I should look at you. Do you have any questions about Enneagram? No, but obviously I already spoiled where I fall on the diagram. <laughs> However, I would just like to point out that um, I said that ones were the most fun. And I think what, what you just explained is there's a there's an arrow going from one to one to seven, which was the enthusiast. And so in theory, uh, when I'm in a good place, I am the most fun. So absolutely. That's so true. You absolutely nailed that. Then when you are just your most healthy and you're just, your cup's running over, you're going to absolutely take all that fun and all that what's next and all that let's go energy from a seven. And you're going to really embody that in your oneness. So, yep, you already figured it out. So, and absolutely, let's talk about you guys. So Finn, you're a one. And the way I knew that is we talked about the voice. Um, and I will tell you the voice is louder or softer based on where we've done work. A lot of times when people take tests and I'll tell your listeners, think about before you started doing work on yourself, if you've done any sort of self-work or any kind of improvement to yourself or any kind of just reaching to be your best self. Um, because older patterns are going to be truer patterns for Enneagram work. So, you know, the voice tends to get quieter the more we come to peace with ourselves and the more we come to accept ourselves and love ourselves and have more compassion for ourselves, but it still stays there. And I think that the ability to see what could be better is one of the gifts of a one. Everyone needs a one. If your company doesn't have a one in it, you're going to struggle with growth and with areas of improvement. Um, Every family is great to have a one that can point out the things that we could be doing better and the ways that we could grow. So ones are amazing and we need ones. We need all the numbers, but we really need ones in our lives to help us define the areas that things could be improved or otherwise we'd all just be static and hanging out and doing all the fun stuff. So we need ones. Um, Where Finn, you probably have some, some just commonality with other ones is a lot of people that I work with that are ones have a lot of shoulds. So they really have a lot of times where the word should comes into their brain. It might be for a group, like we should do this. It could be a personal thing. Like I should do this. It can be past. I should have done that. But should is a lot of language. And something that I'll point out to ones to work on awareness is to catch themselves when they are in a moment of shoulding. Where, what is that coming from? And to just really kind of use that as a pause to say, oh, maybe this is some perfectionism coming out. Um, Also, something that ones do that a lot of numbers don't do is they tend to read the instructions. They tend to do things the way, shocker, they should be done. So ones aren't going to build a bookshelf just by going, well, that probably goes there and that probably goes there. And then they've got 10 pieces left and they're okay with it. That's not going to fly with a one. It's no, we do steps one all the way to step 50. And if there's extra parts, we're sending this thing back because they obviously went somewhere. And then we talked a little bit about the dishwasher example. A lot of times people that are ones don't like anyone else to live the dishwasher. What it is about American culture that the dishwasher is just the precipice for conflict. But apparently there's a right way and there's a place that the cups go and a place, the direction that the plates are supposed to face and ones know it. And while we talked and you said, well, yeah, I think there's a right way, but I don't want to spend the effort to go and redo it. That's probably a mature one. An immature one is going to go reload that dishwasher or they're going to ban anyone in the house from touching it with them. So ones know there's a way to do things. Thank goodness. And another thing that ones um, really struggle with is multitasking. Well, they can multitask, of course, but they feel sort of like 
they're not giving each thing as much attention as it needs. And there's a possibility that it won't be done the way that they really know it should. So ones are not the best. I, if you love a one, don't ask them to do three things at once because they will, but they won't love it. Um, another thing that ones really love is feedback. Ones really want to hear from the people they love what they could be doing better for them. Ones want to know areas they can grow. Um, in a career, a one is going to want merit-based promotions. Don't just give me a raise or give me more, more of a responsibility because for some nepotism or some silly reason, we want to know that they earned it. And that's important to ones. They really want to earn where they go. Um, but they love accountability. Hold me accountable. That's, I'm already doing that for myself. They want that from their bosses and their spouses and other people too. Um, one last thing that ones, I think more than any other number can do is struggle to turn their brains off. Um, ones think a lot. They struggle sleeping a lot. I have lots of clients that are ones and we talk a lot about sleeping. We talk a lot about, um, turning off and, and being able to just shut down that brain. And so I, I oftentimes will, um, write recommendations for my ones to find something that you don't have to think, find an activity to do where your brain really can turn off and rest. And, um, and that there's make sure it's not something that you could do perfectly. So it needs to be something where there's not a winning and losing or a perfect way to do it. And look for that to give yourself some time and some space to be free from the right way. Yeah, I would uh, be curious what an example of something that you can't do perfectly is. And I know that sounds like I'm being facetious, but to, to be honest, like it's, yeah, it's, it's very persistent. Yeah, I agree. I think for ones, a lot of ones I've talked is to do something where an observation type thing. So I have ones that got, have gotten way into, um, sort of, I have a friend that's a one and she got way into horror culture because for her, it wasn't about growing the plants. It was about knowing what they were. And so she kind of pushed herself into a little bit of a five space where she started to gain knowledge and learn about something new, but not to be tested and not to, sh to showcase it and show that she was right, but just for her own good and just to treat herself. Um, another thing that ones I, I think is a good thing is to do physical activities where there's no winner or loser. So team sports is, is, can be great, but even running, I had a one and he was a great, great, just athlete. And he said, yeah, I really love physicalness, but I find myself competing against myself, even if there's no one else to compete with. So we had talked about running and we talked about all kinds of things. And he said, yeah, well, you know, I track it. So I know if I didn't run as fast as I ran yesterday, I said, okay, well, this is not a good activity for you. So we need to find something else. Um, you know, I think creative things can be that way. Um, what's the right way to write? What's the right way to paint a picture? It's things like that where you, maybe you can let go of correctness and it's just reaching for things, but also trying things and saying it's not for me is a stretch too. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I was maybe if you're okay with it, I was going to speak to some of the stuff around instructions or directions and following them and, how how this actually manifests for me because it's interesting when you say like so my background is in engineering um and when you say like reading the instructions for a bookshelf or putting something together um 
for me, reading those instructions is typically to find that there is a better way to build the bookshelf than the instructions actually said. So I usually read them after I build whatever I'm building because I I have uh, some ability to put things together just by looking at the pieces. And this is a fun exercise for Emma and I to build things together because she's she's usually looking at the instructions and I'm already building the thing and she's a little bit frustrated. So anyway, <laughs> I, I typically don't read the instructions for the sake of that when it comes to building things. Where I do is with games. I was just going to say that example. We have to play a game exactly by every single rule. And so, yeah, so for me... And it's interesting. I was I was actually just explaining this to someone the other day. I I don't care whether I win or I lose. Like for me, the point of playing the game is to play the game, but to play it like to play it the way it's supposed to be played. I always try to win, but I don't care. Like if I lose, for me, it's more important to be able to like play the game again and then try to do better the next time. So I actually find games that last like maybe 20 to 30 minutes are my favorite because I can try it. And then the next time I can usually convince people to play it like three or four times with me. And then I can continue to do the, the improving. So I, again, like with games in it, and if like a rule gets mixed up and maybe even we misread the instructions for me, those games that we played that were not by the rules, we're not really, we didn't really play the game. That doesn't count. And so, and it's frustrating as hell to, (laughs) to other people, or we'll be like 20 minutes into the game and I'll read a rule that we missed. And I'm like, well, we got to start over. And people are like, no, we're not fucking starting over. Like we're, (laughs) we've been playing this thing for 20 minutes. We're just going to play it. And then it like bothers me for like the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I was, I thought it was interesting that the, I just wanted to point out like for building things, I, I look to the instructions to probably improve them. And for games, I look to them because to me, there's like, there's a way to play the game. Now I have also like games we played a lot. We've improved upon the game. Right. And said like, well, yeah, that's the rule. But like this way is more fun if we're all playing by that rule. So even then I'm trying to make more fun, which is why I'm a damn good seven, because I'm really trying to have the most fun. To be, to be fair. Now, listen, just to be fair, everyone wants to be a seven. When I I took a test, I was like, I'm going to be a seven. I'm going to be a seven. I'm not a seven. But we all want to be the fun. We always want to be the like of the party. So, yes, you're lucky that the seven's on your line. So you get to be seven when you're doing really well. So mm-hmm. I'll ask you, Finn, is a lot of ones I've talked to have a little slice of perfection in their life. So in other words, they like to have a place or a space or something that they get to keep perfect. Um, maybe it's their car, maybe it's their closet, maybe it's a room in the house, maybe it's just something that, you know, I, I know a one who keeps his inbox to zero every day. And that's his little bit of this is right. Um, do you have anything that you can think of that's your little place where you really try to strive to just make this little place perfect? I'm trying to think. I have one. It's little. Let's hear it. <laughs> Notifications and things open on your phone. Oh, yeah. Like you're- I never have multiple. At- like when I'm done looking at a text message, when I'm done looking at 
anything on my phone, everything is closed. There's yeah. never anything open. Yeah. And I and it only annoys me when he picks up my phone to do something and then closes all of my stuff. And I'm like, hey, that's not your phone. That's my phone. He's helping <laughs> but, you, Emma. <laughs> but I will say, you know, and not that I've perfected it being a perfectionist, but the I have let go of a lot of the things where I used to drive um, for perfection. Mm-hmm. So I have let go of a lot of that and found ways to just to be okay. So yeah, inbox was one of them, especially with our with the podcast. Like if we got an email, I had to respond to it immediately, and if it wasn't responded to immediately, and the inbox was at zero. Now my personal email is a, a different a different mm-hmm. beast, but like there were certain things that were like, yeah, and I've I've started to relax on those in, in a lot of ways, I think, and yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are some. I'm, I, I'm maybe as we're sitting here, I'll think of some others that I I keep. Maybe maybe checking finances too. Like that's not like doesn't have to be perfect, but it's something that's like a habit. I don't know if that's the same type of thing. Yeah, but even that I've let go. Yeah. I used to I used to check our bank accounts like four or five times a day. And mm-hmm. I've I've been able to be like once a week is okay. Right. So right. right. And I will tell you that that's the place for push for ones. Ones to let go of right. To know that things can just be and be okay. And so that's really gonna be and you've obviously done that work and, and I applaud you for that because just to be able to not focus so much on the right way or the wrong way. Like when you're talking about the game and you're like, we have to start over. We weren't playing it right. You know, we were wrong. How can we keep going? That just that push. And and that's where the beauty of the Enneagram is the awareness of it. And we're going to talk more when we talk about you guys' numbers together about ways that you can kind of see that in your partner and then support them through it. But that's a huge one, a huge, huge thing that you've done. And it just shows you can pat yourself on the back and say, wow, I've really grown in this place. So that's a good thing. I appreciate it. Yeah, I was just maybe just thinking of one other one, and I don't know if this fits, is the, like, if somebody sends me a text message, like, I, I typically have to be the last one to say something in a text. So, like, if somebody responds, even if it was something like, oh, well, have a good night, I have to be like, I have to have, like, one more thing. I have to, like, all messages have to be, like, responded to. Mm-hmm. And maybe that falls in that. I don't know. Maybe that's OCD. I don't know. <laughs> well, and I will say that lots of ones have OCD tendencies for sure. Um, and, and usually more obsessive type things than compulsive. Again, that's being in your head, thinking about things over and over again and wanting them to be right. Um, so lots of people that um, are ones also would identify with just some aspect of OCD. So that's really, really common. Really yeah. common. And, and accurate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We love truth, but we hate truth. Right? <laughs> Emma, what about you? Emma, you and I are the same number. You're a nine, just like me. And so nines are, we want other people to be comfortable. That is yeah. something that we strive for. So one of the biggest ways to make people uncomfortable is to make a big fuss. So nines to make a big fuss is not going to happen a whole lot of times in their lives. We also don't feel really strongly about our own preferences. So when we say, well, we'll go along, it's just because we don't have a really strong sense of caring about things. We care about big things, but little things we just don't care about. So we're just not going to make a fight about where we go to dinner or what road we take or which day of the week we do X, Y, Z. 
those just aren't worth the disruption to our sense of peace and comfortability. So nines also, we really are big thinkers. We think about a lot of things. We're not just, we're not necessarily big doers. So we like to review things. We like to plan. We love to make to-do lists. I've never met a nine that didn't have a to-do list. Where we're not great is when we have that great list, prioritizing what's important. Because to a nine, it's just, everything's on there. I need to do all of these things. Other numbers would say, well, obviously you need to do number two and number seven first. A nine's just going to go, well, they kind of all look the same. So we aren't good at knowing what should be done before other things, prioritization. So I like to say that nines are really engaged, but they're not really focused. We just sort of take in all of the stuff and we kind of do all of the stuff, but we may not just be really focused on things. They, it's like everything's important, so nothing's important. That tends to be a, a nine motto. So nines don't really remember our own needs. We're not the most resentful number. We're going to talk about that with you guys about our relationship with anger because we are all in the anger triad. But nines don't get resentful. We just forget. We just don't really think about ourselves. And nines really, I, I said earlier, nines merge. Well, what that means is if nines hear your idea and they decide that your idea sounds okay to them and there's no reason for them to make a fuss, they just kind of get right in the car with you and go along with you where you're going. So they just tend to to go along. So an area I want to really, a story I want to tell about two numbers that can look the same but are very different is two and nine. Nines and twos are very similar in that we care about others and we're very helpful and we're very very giving to others and we're very focused on others because that's really similar in both numbers. Nines are also, um, again, just to, to use generalities, a lot of females are nines and twos. So the difference between a nine and two, and this is a great another great Susan, Suzanne Stabile story, but let's say that you're with a group, Emma, and they all want to go to dinner. And everybody wants to go, you really, really want to go get pizza, but everybody else wants to go get Mexican. Well, you're not going to make the fuss because you like Mexican. You're not allergic to it. You don't, you're not opposed to it, but you just really had your idea about pizza. A two's in the same boat. She wants to get pizza, but everybody else wants Mexican. Well, she's going to go along too. So both of you go along with the group. We all get in the car and we all end up at the Mexican restaurant. The difference between the two numbers is when you're there and you're having your chips and salsa and a great margarita, the nines thinks it was their idea to go. They, they can't imagine ever wanting anything but the Mexican. And the twos are silently wishing they were having pizza, but they're smiling and they're there. So merging means it becomes your idea. And you can't even fathom another option. Well, this is the option. This was the way we were going. I'm so excited to be here. So that's really a great definition of two behaviors that would look exactly the same, but things that were happening internally where you couldn't see them that were not the same. So everybody is probably got a nine in their life. Nines, as the ability to be peacemaker and peacekeeper, nines have an absolute innate ability to make consensus. You want a nine on your team because what nines can do is nines can hear a roundtable discussion about an issue. And when it gets to them, not only have they understood and heard each person's point of view, but through the beauty of a nine, they've come up with a consensus that everybody likes. Nines are the people that if you have a nine as a friend, you think they always agree with you. 
and everyone thinks a nine agrees with them. There's a great story about a counselor, a couple's counselor that was a nine, and he was working with two different people, of course, and husband and wife, and both of them came up to him separately and said, well, I really, really enjoy working with you, but I feel bad for my partner because you always agree with me. And they both felt that way about that nine. We just have an ability to agree because we really can see a lot of different viewpoints and we don't get so locked in on one that there's a right. So again, whether or not that's true, that there's a right for us is debatable, but it's just not worth the fight. So that's a lot of nine information. Yeah. And I relate to pretty much all of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll say about a nine. That's a struggle. Nines can be really stubborn, which is different than causing conflict. So, you know, when we say yes a lot, when really inside we mean no, you know, uh, Catherine one time told me that there's no such thing as a non-aggressive person. You're either direct and aggressive or you're passive aggressive. And there's no place where someone lives where they're not on that spectrum. And nines tend to think we aren't aggressive at all. Um, but what tends to happen is that we do tend to be a little passive aggressive because over time we say yes when we mean no and our needs don't get met. And internally, that's just not okay. And what tends to happen is every once in a while, either we'll get really stubborn about something, we'll decide this is the hill I'm going to die on. And it doesn't have to be an important hill. Unfortunately, it's just a build-up hill. So we got into this place and, you know, it's not really that important, but my gosh, it's important to us in this moment. And we can get kind of stubborn. Um, we also can show some passive aggressive tendencies. So if I'm not comfortable directly having conflict with you, I'm going to do things that are indirect ways of having conflict with you. And so those things show up for nines too. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And those are things that I'm not always proud of, <laughs> but, but it's, it does happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, remember I told you the things that make you feel uncomfortable are the, when you know you're pretty clear on your number. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, as just to add like, Oh, note on the wings, like as you were talking about the perfectionist and the number one, there's a lot of, there's a good part portion of that that I can relate to as well. There's some of those tendencies that I have now it's not as strong as Finn though. So that kind of makes sense why it's probably, I'm probably very similar to you, Kelsia of a strong, like a, I'm a nine with a strong one wing. Right. Right. And I'll tell you that it's good because that's not your primary motivator, but it's a secondary reason. So it's probably easy for you a lot of times to understand why Finn wants something or how he feels. Again, your nineness does that, but that one wing also allows you to sort of get in his head a little and feel, oh, I can understand even more so than just your natural ability to understand, but you can feel those feelings. You can go, yeah, I agree. This is going to feel better because it's right. And, and that's going to come up for you a lot. Um, so yeah, that's really, really important. And I think probably just looking through Finn's things that Finn has a, a two wing because he did identify with some helper qualities and, um, some, just some strong things in that two place of, of just wanting to meet needs and wanting to be there for people and being relational. So I think that's probably where his wing is too. Yeah. I, as you were reading the two, I was, I was thinking, did I, did I pick the wrong one? <laughs> like I was like, well, maybe I'm like a one and a half. Cause I, <laughs> I, I, I feel a lot of that, but, but definitely a one. I, 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 when you explained the wings, I was like, yeah, okay. 
I'm firmly a one. (laughs) Makes sense. Makes sense. So let's talk about you guys together. Um, Eight, nine, and one are are in our anger triad. So all of the numbers have a relationship with sort of a hard emotion. Again, we talked about the Enneagram being about the hard parts. So there's shame and there's fear and there's anger. And so these three numbers are in the anger family, the anger triad. Eights, like we talked about, they're great at anger. Anger's their jam. I'm mad at you. Here's how I feel. And this is what we're going to do about it. And then poof, it's gone. When one of the nines live around anger is not quite so direct. Ones feel anger, but it tends to leak out like resentment. I'll talk to ones a lot about being angry and they don't like to use that word. They'll say they're stressed or they're frustrated or, well, I just don't really know how I feel. Frustrated though and stressed really come across for ones and usually that's a ding, ding, ding that they're angry. Um, And so what happens with ones is they're frustrated because why can't everyone else just do it the right way? Um, But they don't tend to be direct about that. And so I think that that is where frustration and anger sort of live with them. And they can be resentful when they feel like other people aren't doing their best job or showing up the way that they're willing to show up, um, putting in as many hours or trying as hard. So ones tend to have to battle with some resentment. And um, Brene Brown said resentment is, an, is really envy. It's really what, you're, what you wish you had more of. And so when I had heard that from her, I really started to go to the ones in my life and say, you know, when you start to feel that, what are you jealous about? What do you wish? What are they doing that you wish? And a lot of time it's around the freedom to let go of the correctness, to let go of the perfection. And so that's really the work around anger. For nines, we don't even know anger exists for a lot of our lives. I remember when I first started working with Catherine and I had some real issues with some things and she would say, well, I just think you're angry. I was like, I don't get angry. That's a common nine response. It's like anger is the invisible man in the room. We just don't see it. We don't feel it. It's just so deeply buried because it's not safe. Anger is one of the biggest parts of conflict to a nine. And we just don't think that's safe. And when you don't think something's safe your whole life, you tend to bury it really deep. So again, it's a little bit of that passive aggressiveness, but even our passive aggressive things don't come across as direct anger. We just don't have a lot of verbiage, a vocabulary. We just struggle with that emotion. And it's just almost something that doesn't exist to nines. So for ones and nines, because we, neither of you are really great at just, here's what I, how I feel about it there's work there and there's ways to love each other in those hard places um, around that. And you guys share that part. So it makes it a little easier sometimes when we have some commonality to work on language about it. So that would be a place where I'd really talk to you guys about loving each other. Well, is giving each other doors to open when we feel mad doors to open when we feel anger and does be safe and, and working that out between the two of you. Um, that's just a really important part. And I always tell people anger is a push emotion. Anger pushes us to a better place. Um, you know, righteous anger is one of the most beautiful things that we have. And so we want to be comfortable in that emotion. And for you guys, you can kind of open doors and have conversations around it. Um, and and it'd be places you can grow. Another thing that's really good for you two to relate to each other. Um, Emma, it's really important to me that you understand about the inner critic, because when we don't have that as a nine and we don't, 
we can understand a lot of the perfectionist tendencies and we can definitely understand the desire to be right and correct, we can't possibly understand that voice. And so I want you to think about the most maybe shameful or guilty thing that you can think of that you've ever done in your life. And I want you to think about your self-talk around that thing. So the way you talked to yourself about that event or about those words or about that action. And when you really get into that harsh self-talk, which was deserved, you know, was something that you know you were wrong in, that self-talk is the level of self-talk that Finn lives with all the time. So it doesn't matter how small or how big the mistake or error is, a one that's really in growth still and still working on separating themselves from that voice is going to hear that sort of self-talk all day. So when we can think about it in those terms and how hard it is for us to hold that feeling and know our partner holds that feeling a lot, it allows us to really kind of access some empathy and to access some ways that we want to help them in the work of separating themselves from the voice. Um, I always tell ones, name your voice. Come up with the crotchetiest, old person-y, grumpiest name you could come up with for your voice. Um, I've heard great ones. I've heard Oscar the Grouch. I've heard, you know, Dolores the Mean Neighbor. I've heard Gertrude. I've heard lots of names for the voice. But you want to disconnect the voice from you because it's not you. And sometimes if we can get sort of a funny but grumpy type name, our partner can speak to us about it without it being so, so making us feel defensive. So for example, if you felt like Finn was really struggling with some perfectionist tendencies or really with maybe some shame about something, if you guys have named this, you can come alongside him as his partner and say, Hey, is this Oscar the Grouch talking? And it allows him to disconnect from that voice and to stand in his, just his wholeness without that critic. So that's a really loving thing that someone that loves a one can do for them. Another thing that we can do to love a one in our lives is to be very careful when we want to criticize them. And I mean, good, healthy criticism. I mean, places we need to go and ask for behavior change, or we need to point out. We have to be really careful with a one, how we do that. Because since they're so critical of themselves, we want to come to them making sure it's out of love and that they see it that way, because they'll just add it to the pile that they've already got going about themselves. So always be careful about how you address things that you would like them to change because for him, he doesn't want to hear it as I was wrong um, or I'm bad. That's really big for ones. The other thing that's really important to level one is that ones don't take verbal praise very well. They have an ability to sort of shake off a compliment because it doesn't really line up with their way their brain works. So I tell people that love ones a written note to a one of love or appreciation is going to hold more value to them and they might actually let it sink in a little better than a verbal one. So um, I always tell people that are in relationships with ones to every once in a while, write them some gratitude or some appreciation because they'll just take it in better and it'll get through that tough exterior a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So for you, Finn, the way you can really love Emma and her nineness, one of the things is to give her a loving push to make decisions. Because it's going to teach her that it's safe for her to have a voice. That even if you don't agree with her, that you want to hear what she wants. You want to hear what she thinks. You want to hear what she prefer. And that can also help her to dig for those, to look for those things that she really does love and she really does want. To give her freedom to not like something as much as she likes something. 
And a lot of times nines just need to know that's safe. We just don't know that it's going to be okay if we disagree. We don't know that it's going to be okay to not like what you like or not to go along. So really just helping her to speak up and to give her space and to give her an option to be able to do that. Another thing is nines need more space than even ones to feel mad about something. So it's not just the space to express it, which you probably already have a really good you know, way of doing. It's the space to sort of explore it. Like, hey, did that make you feel angry? Her first response is going to be no. And maybe just to say, well, why don't you take a t- some time and see for sure? Because it's important to me that you feel how you feel. Um, and that just sort of opens a pathway that she can walk down and to get more comfortable with. Um, the last thing is nines really need patience when directions change. So another great example, I love stories, is think about a nine. I had to really teach this to my husband. When we say we're going to do something, I get completely and totally that direction. I'm ready. We're going. So think about like a big cargo ship that you see sort of carrying all the, the train car stuff and all that stuff. So it's going a direction. Well, if you want to change course for a cargo ship, it's going to take it. It's not turning on a dime. It's got to slowly change direction. And it doesn't mean it doesn't want to, or it's not going to, but it just takes a minute to shift and to go that other way. So when we go to nines in our lives and we change the plan, or we come up with a better way, they're really, really dedicated to the way we were going. And what can happen is that shifting direction can sort of go, but, 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 but you've got to give them time. So a lot of people in relationships with nines will say, well, I came and I, I had this great new idea and she was really like resistant. Well, sometimes it just takes some time to turn the ship and then they're going to be gung ho and ready to go that direction too. But their first reaction may be a little bit of resistance to the fact that they've got a shift And nines are inertia driven. So when we're going one direction, we really, really, really have a hard time getting going that way. But when we're going, man, it's hard to stop on a diamond shift. So giving patience and understanding and not taking it personally when maybe it's a little hard for us to shift, even if it's a better way, even if we'd rather go this way, we got to turn the ship. And that just takes a little bit of time. That one rings true, huh? <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but those yeah. are ways that you guys can love each other and support each other in your numbers. Another thing is learning about the number that your, your per- partner goes to in um, stress. So, and I talked to Emma's because I know it so well. Nines in stress go to six. And what happens when we go to six is we are grasping for safety. We are looking for safe harbor. So nines in a six energy will do a lot of checking. So one thing I'll tell people that love a nine is if they're not doing well, you're going to notice them checking and checking and checking because sixes do a lot of that. Like they're scanning all of the time for there to be problems. And what happens is is that even if, if Emma comes to you and she says, Hey, things okay for whatever we've got going on. And you're like, yeah, if she comes back again, Hey, hey, are you sure we've got everything together? She's not great. And that's a a sign to you as her partner that maybe you need to stop and say, Hey, I noticed that you keep coming and I keep giving you the same answer, but you're coming back again. Is, are you feeling a little bit out of whack? Is there some stress going on or or, are you in not a great place? Um, because when we sort of behave in that way, we're trying to get safety 
from another number. So learning about the numbers that you guys go to in those moments really help us to support our partner when they're not so great. So for the one, that number is the four. So melancholy feelings, really sort of going into that sort of place is going to be a place where where Finn is not great. And it's different than just being sad. It's almost like going and camping there. So that's a way for you, Emma, to look and say, oh, maybe we're not, you know, not bouncing right back from something. We might need to really do some work here. So um, knowing about your partner really does help you when they're seeking out from another number for help. If you can have dialogue and you can see that, you can speak to them in again where they don't get defensive. It's just, I notice you reaching for some support. Is there something going on? And can we kind of help you with it? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was just so a couple of things that like, I don't want them to sound like we're bragging about it, but we, I think we've, we've actually started to recognize a, a handful of these over the last, probably really in the last 18 months um, that, we've started to do something about them. So a few of them like off the top of my head. So I was for a very long time, really, really bad at projecting my perfectionism onto Emma. Mm -hmm. So the voice that I heard, I would speak it to her. So her, her shitty voice in her head was actually her husband telling her, that she wasn't perfect at whatever the housing that we were doing that you don't need to be perfect at. And mm-hmm. so I did a lot of work to, it, I still have it, but she doesn't need to have it too. Yeah. And so I know that's one that I'm still not perfect at, but it is much, much better, at least from my perspective. Yeah. And no, then I, she's going to just agree with me. <laughs> right. That's what, <laughs> that's what I do. No, but I, a specific example is uh, we would work out together. And while we would work out, he would constantly be telling me, oh, you could do this better. You could do that better. You know, squat deeper. That's not right. And like, the whole, had to be fucking annoying. The whole time it was, it was, it was like, I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing this wrong. And I had to stop him. And I was like, after a while, I was like, Finn, like, you got to give me a little positive reinforcement too. I want the negative. Like I want the encouragement to improve, but I also need some positive encouragement because like, Hey, we're in this together. Like let's, we're doing a great job. Like let's be in a good mood together instead of like, Nope, you got to fix that. Got to fix that. Got to fix that. <laughs> and that has gotten like, we, we figured that out between us and has gotten much better. Yeah. And my, and you know, right. My inner monologue is, well, like why bother working out if you're not going to do the exercise? Right. And, but like, what? I, but Who, like, what is yeah. right? Like <laughs> the right, yeah. right is different. Well, there is some right and wrong as far as like certain exercises, sure. but like what, I don't know. There's, there's certain things like that are, better for certain people and different, like there's yeah. a variety, right? Just because I'm doing something one way doesn't mean that it's necessarily the right or wrong way. But, um, yeah, that, so that was a big one. Um, the passive aggressiveness, that yeah. one's huge. Um, on my end. And I have gotten really good at when she starts doing that, just saying, what are you actually asking me to do? Cause I, I can tell you're trying to ask me to do something, just say what it is and I will take care of it, you know? And, and that's usually enough to like, 
uh, cut the bullshit. Like Mm -hmm. just, just let's just get there and then we'll, we'll be done with this and we can, you know, you don't have to beat around the bush. Well, and I feel like I've done a better job not doing that as much in the first place. So for sure, uh, trying to be more direct with things. So, and and maybe the last one that, that just like, as we were talking through it, when she shifts to the, the number six to a loyalist, she tends to ask like an infinite amount of questions. Yes, I do. <laughs> and like, you'll be like, I'll be trying to do something and it'll be like question. I'll be like, I'll answer it and I'll think I'm good. And then like three minutes later, there's like a little more of that same question then a little more and a little more. And finally I'm like, that happened literally last night of like stopping and being like, what's going on? Like there's something wrong. Like, let's just talk about what's wrong and what you're, what you actually want to deal with rather than like, me playing 20 questions with you because I'm, 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 well, running, I, I'm running out of answers. And then for I get you. frustrated because I recognize it in the moment, what I'm doing and I'm trying to stop it, but I'm still doing it. <laughs> so yeah, those are just a few, I don't know, like patting ourselves on the back a little bit that, that we have started to recognize a lot of these and tendencies do something about them before we even had the, the language for it. And so mm-hmm. it is, when you're when you're talking through these things and people can't see us, but we're sitting here nodding the whole time <laughs> ferociously. Yeah, it's it's been we didn't have the words for it, but we we really started to recognize it really in the last eighteen months and and do something about it. And so I think having this it it, it validates right. Like you're like, oh well, hey, there's apparently a whole lot of other people who are like this. That's why there's a damn number assigned to them. So I'm not, I'm not some crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. None of us are. And I think something that you pointed out about the beauty of the Enneagram is one, it's such a tool for growth that this is just language and experience around things you guys are already doing. So the beautiful work that you've done on your self growth and your relational growth, you can see that evidenced in your patterns and in the way that you show up. And something that the Enneagram helps us to know is we aren't all the same. And I think so much of relational distress is, well, obviously Emma would want me to tell her the right way to do a squat because why do a squat if you're not doing it correctly? Because we feel like people we love are more like us and more similar to us and that they, we love them the way we get loved and we give them what we want. And it's just another way to realize that we're not and, and to realize, oh, wait, I see you over there and you're not just like me. And these are the things I now know about you and I'm more aware of. And awareness is the key to any kind of growth and any kind of change. We can't change what we don't know. So I just applaud you guys for recognizing those patterns and then putting some things in place, some language, some stop gaps to help you. And the Enneagram is just another tool that can help people and you as you guys learn more about it to have some language, you know. Hey, you seem kind of six-ish. What's going on? It's just new language. It's just another way to sort of stop the avalanche of struggle in our partner and sort of get in there and say, Hey, can I help you with this? Can I be an ally? And there's no, there's no bad in that. More ways to know and love and have compassion for our partner and ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much for going through all of this with us. Um, it's, you know, I, I knew a little bit about Enneagram, but I feel like I know this is just a high level, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it still is so enlightening. And uh, I feel like it's invalidating. It's validating. Yeah. It is. It yeah. To be seen and realize 
oh, there I am. Even sometimes when it's hard is a really just a peaceful place to go. It's like, oh, there's other people like me. I'm not just this totally odd thing. It's like, oh, wait, there's a whole, like you said, a whole number of people just like me. So it really is validating and helpful. Mm -hmm. Do you you have any questions for her? Not off the top of my head. I mean, there are a few things like on this diagram listed. So you have like for our trying, our triad, the anger triad, you have a note here that says gut. Is that sort of I mean, can you speak about you've got gut, head, and heart for the three yeah. different sort of triads? Right. Maybe where it's felt in the body? Right, it is. It's, that's really the somatic piece. So the Enneagram has a lot of, of in-your-body parts or somatic parts as well. And so those people sort of live by not their emotional feelings, but their internal feelings. They're what's right, what's wrong. It's really hard to, you know, if I asked you, either of you, to put a a name or some verbiage around, well, how do you know what's right? Tell me how you know that. You just know. How do you know that this is peaceful and this is going to cause conflict? It's just a knowing. It's an inner type of knowing that all of those numbers sort of live by. They make decisions based on that inner knowing or the gut. Um, The twos, the threes, and the fours are feelings. They're almost completely emotion-driven. How I feel emotionally is going to dictate what I do. And the emotions are going to drive my behaviors and they're going to drive a lot of my whys. Your sevens and sixes and fives are more doing. They're active. They're, they're, they're going to, they're going to go by action. They're going to be sort of like a motion machine. You know, they're going to do, and that's sort of how they're going to show up in the world. They're thinkers and they're doers and they're just get it done not so much by gut. And they could tell you also, those numbers can make you a list. Oh, here's the reasons why I'm doing this. And here's the behaviors that I'm showing. And it's all going to sort of be more visual that you could actually see. Whereas emotions and gut tend to sort of be like, well, I just, that's just how I felt. That's just what I felt like I needed to do. Um, those other numbers can really kind of say, oh, let me tell you why. Here's the, here's the reasons why I should be scared of everything. Here's why I need 10 backup plans. Here's all the things I learned. And then here's all the good things to look forward to. They can make a list of the things they're doing and the things they're thinking about. So, yeah, I think that's, it's helpful to understand that piece as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if anyone's listening and by now you still haven't gone to go look at the diagram, <laughs> go to the show notes and go look at the diagram. Cause it's really helpful. <laughs> um, I think, you know, and this is, I'm sure we could ask a whole bunch more questions and go in a lot deeper, but we've, I feel like we've done a pretty good job or you've done a pretty good job, an amazing job of doing a high level overview of all of this and really giving both of us a lot to think about and reflect on. And, um, you know, we'll probably come back to you with questions <laughs> as well. Um, I wanted to make sure to give the opportunity to talk about, well, like, what people can do if they're interested in Enneagram and then um, your work as well. Absolutely. So a lot of people will come to me and say, well, I want to know my type. I want to know my number. And because the Enneagram is like we absolutely talked about the past, you know, times we've been together, it's very nuanced. There's a lot to it. There's a test is hard, but it's, it is a place to start. And so there's only one test I really recommend, and it's the Enneagram Institute's assessment. It's intensive. It's 144 questions. It's going to take you at least 30 minutes to get in there and do it. And it does cost $12, but it is, it's probably the best test out there because it's so long and intensive. It really does tend to ask the same questions to really get at your why. Because again, we're not judging behavior. 
for judging motivation. And that's kind of hard to do in like a Cosmo quiz. So that test is a good place to start. Um, from there, I'd really tell people reading and researching and really sitting with some of the things that they've heard me say or other great people that talk about it or our books and websites and just really feel what feels true to you is going to be the best way to do your typing. Um, I do a typing that's not the Enneagram Institute's assessments, a little bit more personal typing. And so, of course, if they're interested in that, they can always reach out to me. Um, books I love. I talked several times about Suzanne Stabile. I really love her work. She's just folksy Texas lady that just knows the stuff inside and out. And she really has a great way of explaining it with stories, which is really going back to the way it was a narrative told story. Um, she has two books. One is called The Road Back to You. She wrote that with Ann Crone. And it's really about your individual journey to find your number and to learn about it. A book I really love that she wrote is called The Path Between Us. And it's about how we relate with other numbers. It's really a relationship driven book and it's excellent. And of course, people can always read The Wisdom of the Enneagram, which is Don Rizzo's book. And it's pretty much the Bible of Enneagram work. It's really got a lot of detail. It's, it's almost, it's really thick. It's got lots of data in it, but you're going to get a lot of information if you really want to do a deep dive. So those are the things. Um, if people are really like, they just get hooked on this and they're like, this is the thing I'm going to do. And I just want to be way into it. Um, the narrative Enneagram is where I got my training and they do a lot of training. You don't have to be a coach. You don't have to, to have anything except um, 24 hours and some money to spend, but they do a very intensive training um, that goes deep into the Enneagram, into the numbers, into um, all kinds of things that we would never have time to talk about, but they are a great training resource and they really, really have um, a great program and it's all done online so people can do it from anywhere. Awesome. Well, you will have links to all of that in the show notes as well. Um, and how about your work? Of course. Well, if people want to reach out to me, I'm at expansiveconnection.com, just like Catherine and Miche, and they can find me there. I um, do, of course, this kind of work with couples. I do Enneagram coaching. Um, I also just do um, my work with the adult chair, as Catherine mentioned in the intro. Um, I do a lot of parts work and a lot of deep dives into um, just helping people live from their most adult and best self. And I do relationship coaching with co couples as well. And we really um, work a lot about awareness and communication and um, just sort of being our best selves in a couple as well. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, again, links to all of that, all your stuff too will be in the, in the show notes. And do you, do you have anything else? No, I just wanted to say thank you. And, and I think, you know, perhaps uh, other people listening as you were going through the nine descriptions and maybe that was enough for them to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm probably at this I know as you were reading them, like I had a very visceral reaction to, to a one and mm -hmm. a little bit to a two, but everything else I was kind of like, eh. yeah. Right. And so I think when you're just, when, you know, the way that you described them, it was, for me, it was very clear. Yeah. For me too, as you're going through that. Yeah. So thank you for that. And thank you for your time today. It was, Absolutely. Uh, it was much appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and letting me share this. And um, it was just a great, great time. And I really enjoyed it. And um, I hope some, I'm so glad that you guys learned something and that you didn't know anything and you got to learn about this great tool that I love. And I hope that your listeners did too. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And um, anytime people are just reaching for growth and to know themselves better and love themselves is always a win for me. So thank you for allowing me just to give people something they can use for that. 
Of yeah. course. Well, we appreciate the, the generosity in doing so. Yeah. Yes. Thanks again and have a wonderful afternoon. You too. Thanks, guys. And we're back. A huge thank you to both Kelsia and Catherine for this whole experience, right? Yeah, it was intense. As uh, <laughs> as you probably noticed, it got a little intense in there. And I will say the next two, the next one is not quite as intense as this one. And the last one is quite a bit less intense. But they're still really good. They're still amazing. <laughs> this one was the most emotional, yeah, I would say. Yeah, I would say that too. Most emotional for both of us. It was just, it was really eye-opening and... I, I don't know. It felt like we both, even just from this conver- this one conversation with Kelsey, we both had a better understanding of who, who we each were and how we can work together and better understand each other. Yeah. And to be honest, I think, I don't know if we talked about it in here or not because I, I ended this a while ago, but uh, we actually originally only planned this to be a single episode. And as we were doing it, we all kind of thought this is bigger. Yeah. And so that's why it's now three. So Definitely come back next week or join the Patreon ASAP as possible, and <laughs> you can listen to the other two right now. And also, if you want to, if you want to get into this yourself, uh, definitely reach out to Kelsia and use the links on our website in the show notes to sign up uh, for the Enneagram experience with her. Yes, the Enneagram experience with Kelsia includes the whole typing process, where she helps you figure out which number you are, and a 90-minute session with her. All of the details, again, like Finn said, use the links on our webpage. Um, and by using those links, it helps Kelsia know where you found her and uh, helps support the show as well. So thank you in advance for that. Thank you for joining us for this awesome Enneagram episode. And we hope you enjoy the next two. And we will see you on Wednesday, but also next Friday. Yes. <laughs> We're going to see you a lot. See You're going to see a lot of us. You're going to hear a lot of us coming up. Yep. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>